Hey, Devin, I'm a lot better if the keys are going the whole time. Can you just keep playing? <laughs> Don't ever leave the hey, stage. That, that song is amazing, like really beautiful. Did anything with awesome? I'm not kidding. I turned to Ann. Hey, Devin, don't leave. Where are you going, dude? <laughs> I turned to Ann during that song. I said, that's the best song of the night. And the other two I know are recorded in their big worship stuff. That one needs to be, don't you think? Yes. Wow. Yes. Wait, did so you write good. it? Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. So good. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's interesting. Uh, uh, our youngest son is preaching Sunday night back in Detroit on the Samaritan woman at the well. I was thinking they need to be singing that song that night. Um, anyway, we are so glad to be here. We've never been to Hume Lake in our life. Never you been guys, to... this is beautiful. It's unbelievable. You're so spoiled. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're driving up here. It's like, wow. I mean, we live in Detroit. Anybody ever been there? It's like the grossest city no, in the country. Not. It's just not pretty when you drive in from oh. the airport. Anybody? Come on. It's breathtaking. Here. Oh, yeah, it is. It's yeah. like the mountains we saw coming up here. Yeah, whatever. Um, and, and, I, and I did notice there's not a single Detroit Lions fan in the crowd. Am I right? Maybe one? Uh, there, yeah. There aren't oh. any in Detroit either. Yeah, so. there aren't. There are. And, and it's funny. I was telling the... Jason and the, and the band backstage, um, I actually, I was the chaplain for 33 seasons. I actually own an NFL record that I didn't know I owned until a guy, I was a pastor for 30 years of a church in Detroit area. A guy in my church from one of our campuses, I don't know who he was, sends an email to me and my assistant, Debbie, walks in my office like two years ago. She goes, hey, uh, I don't know if you want to respond to this email or not, but it's sort of interesting. I go, okay, what is it? You know, because pastors, we get all kinds of emails, usually really wonderful. Um, <laughs> you know, anyway, and she reads it to me. She stands by office. She goes, uh, Dave, I just wanted you to know I did the research. This is officially true. You are the losingest chaplain in the history of the NFL. <laughs> it's true. 300, he had it all written out, 317 losses in my 33 seasons. So there you go. But you know what? You had more baptisms and conversions. Look at her, look at her build me up, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are things that go on off the field that nobody ever hears about. One year, the year before we went 0-16, which was an NFL record as well that time, um, <laughs> the season before that, we baptized 27 players and their wives and kids. And again, whoever hears about that, you know, um, but it's almost what we just sang is why we're here and why we are in the locker room with the Lions and what this whole weekend's about is he springs wells in our wasteland. Yeah. He is our hope. And it's interesting, you know, sometimes when you come to these kind of things, you may think, well, the speaker's on stage, they have a perfect marriage, and that's why they're up there because they know all the perfect stuff to say. Well, you got the wrong couple <laughs> if, <laughs> if that's where you're hoping because if you've never heard us, we are pretty... People say you're real. We're, we're like raw. We're way too real, I think, sometimes. And so we're going to be honest. We're, we're, we've been married 41 years. So uh, three sons, all married, and six grandkids. Mm -hmm. And again, it hasn't been perfect. In fact, if you've ever watched our vertical marriage, we sat with a couple tonight. I don't know where you are, at dinner. And they just went through our vertical marriage, um, small group DVD. It's a video-based thing. And I said, oh, and they're like, yeah, we, we're here because you guys are here. And I'm like, well, did you like it? Yeah, well, good, you're going to hear it again. <laughs> oh, there you are, you're right here, because uh, we're going to do a lot of that kind of stuff. So hopefully uh, it'll minister to you. But, um, you know, we were in trouble in the first year, uh, 41 years ago. Not kidding. You and, know, our, our and, wedding day was, we thought, awesome. And then 
Did you guys do that too? On your wedding day, did you think, this is gonna be the best life anyone could ever have? Because we love each other more than anyone else has ever in the history of the world love each other. And we love Jesus, so of course. And we're course, going into ministry, so it's gonna be easy. Yeah, and on my wedding day, I really did, if somebody would have asked me, tell me about Dave Wilson's weaknesses, I would have said, I, I don't think he has any. Like, this guy is unbelievable. Because I faked her out. <laughs> and then we were going to our first job, and we were driving to Nebraska from Ohio, because we grew up in Ohio. I was going to be the chaplain of, of the Nebraska Cornhuskers, which I was for two seasons. A winning team. I actually won for a couple years. <laughs> but I remember we were in this huge fight. We'd been married six months. And I remember looking at Dave thinking, there is nothing that I like about this guy. You, I, I mean, you're shattered when you have that thought. Isn't it? it's, it's awful. And I, then I said, because we're in this big fight, I said, marrying you was the biggest mistake of my life. Yes. Yeah, she yells it. I mean, I'll never forget. She's yelling that. And I responded very maturely. I said, you're exactly right. What were we thinking? We should have never done this. This is six months. And we really, I really thought, we've made a mistake. Like this is the wrong thing. We missed God's will. There's God's will is out there for me somewhere else, but it's not here in the car. And I know who she's thinking of. That guy was a loser. Trust me. <laughs> Trust me. You think, you think I'm kidding. I know who she's talking about. He ended up on the Detroit Lions for two weeks. He came to our house for Bible study. I said, not you, dude. He was a great guy. Everybody else can come, but not you. Anyway. Um, yeah. So there we were. And then we start our ministry with the college athletes at the University of Nebraska, guess what they first asked us to do? There were several married couples on the football team, and they said, would you two lead a marriage Bible study for us? And we're like, uh, you get to, you don't know. And we did. Because <laughs> that's what you're supposed to do. And we actually pulled out the Family Life Weekend to Remember manual that we went to the conference two weeks before our wedding. We didn't really take notes because we thought, how hard can marriage be? You know, all these people are taking notes, but we're going to, and that's all we had for marriage material, and we started teaching it. And I, I'll be honest, I don't know if it helped a single marriage at the University of Nebraska, but it saved ours. Yeah, it did. It really did. And I'll tell you something, we won't talk about this till Sunday morning, but when you take what God's doing in you and you, you give it away, that's when your life starts to change. We often think, God, you guys saved my marriage. He saves our marriage when we help save others. I'm just telling you, that's the way it is. When you lose your life for him, you find your life. That's a whole other talk that we're going to get into Sunday morning. But it didn't get better quickly because, I don't know, seven, eight, nine months in, I remember we were still fighting every night. And by the way, we're going to talk about conflict tonight. Because I know, you know, some of you have it. We never do, but you guys do. So <laughs> we're going to talk about that. But we were fighting, and it was just terrible. It wasn't getting better. And I got out of bed at like 3 in the morning and just went downstairs in our little one-bedroom loft and got on my knees and started praying and opened the Word of God. And I couldn't find Dave. And I thought, where is he? And I went downstairs. I found him on his knees reading the Bible. And I did think, well, at least he's reading the Bible. Maybe God will finally speak to him. <laughs> and I said to him, like, what are you reading? And he goes, it's unbelievable, Anne. I'm reading Paul's words, and he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I just prayed, God, I would rather be dead than to be married to Anne. <laughs> he said that to me out loud. Like, who says that out loud? I, I said it because one of our mentors said, share every little thought you ever have. <laughs> so I thought I was doing the right thing. That's a bad piece of advice. There's some things you should never say. I mean, as soon as it came out of my mouth, she just looks at me like, 
I just cried. I mean, she was like, you what? And, I, and, and here's the thing. We're laughing now, right? That's funny, right? You know why it's funny? Because I just shared with you, we've been, we're on year 41. Yeah. If we hadn't have made it, that's not funny. And here's, here's why we share this as we open up, is that's what I was truly feeling. I, that was how, the darkness I was in was like, I think to be gone would be better than trying to be married to this woman because it's just not working. And, and again, I'm guessing, maybe you've never prayed that prayer, but you're sitting there going, dude, that's what I'm feeling right now. Some of you are feeling that right here, right now. Or, We've done marriage conferences where couples won't even sit together on Friday night. That's where they are. They're, they're ready to get divorced. And some of you may be there. Others of you have a good marriage. Some of you have great marriages. And some of you have been divorced, and so you know the pain yeah. and the heartache that that can cause. And so we're glad you're here tonight. And even this weekend, we, we've been praying, and we feel like God is really going to do some amazing things, not because of us, but because of him. Yeah, and so here, let's talk, about, like I said, about conflict, because every marriage, I was joking before, has conflict. Maybe you had it on the way here. <laughs> Usually you do oh, yes. on the way to a marriage conference. You should see the conflicts we have before we walk on stage sometimes. <laughs> but usually you have conflict, and if you have conflict, you're normal. That is part of every single marriage. Here's the thing. Most marriages don't know how to resolve conflict. So we thought, okay, let's start this thing. Let's talk about how to resolve conflict. And again, we're not saying we do this perfectly, but I don't know if you've ever heard the name John Gottman. Anybody know that name? John Gottman is not a, a, a Christian writer or a, a believer, but he's a... Uh, Jewish man who's an expert writer, therapist, uh, sort of in the, in the marriage space. And he is, if you ever have heard of him, you may have heard, heard of him this way. He will sit with a couple and watch, a married couple, watch them fight for 15 minutes. And he will tell you if they will make it or get divorced. Guess what his accuracy rate is? 15 minutes, 98% right. Because he looks for things that couples do when they fight that we don't even know we do. And, and basically, here's what he says. He says, how a couple does conflict determines the health and future of their marriage. Actually, that's my words. That's our big idea tonight. Uh, I see you're going to take a lot of notes. You don't need to take notes. If you're like me, <laughs> you take you notes on your phone, which is, which is great, because you'll remember 78% more if you just take a single note. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. So if you want to take some things down, they'll come up here for you. But really, the health and future of your relationship is determined by how, how you handle conflict. And I'm a preacher, so I think that's good because it rhymes. The health and future of your relationship is determined by how you handle conflict. So there you go. It rhymes, right? <laughs> so that's how I did it at my church. And people, yeah, whatever. Anyway, um, but, uh, and again, there's many factors, but this is critical. And again, it's because we have conflict, we don't often know how to resolve conflict. And let me just say one last thing. We often don't teach our kids how to do this. We just uh, released a book called No Perfect Parents because we're not perfect parents. And that's one of the things we talked about is, man, not only do we need to know how to conflict, do conflict, we need to teach our children how to do it as well. Well, that's what I was going to say too. Imagine like all of you, we've gone through schooling, we've gone through some sort of training for jobs, for, sh for sports, for careers. But think about this. Think of all the time you've put in to school or career or some sort of training. How many hours or years have you learned how to have a great marriage? I mean, most of us have had so little, so little, and yet this relationship we're in is one of the most significant, important relationships of your lives. And most of us have had no training on how to handle conflict, except we've watched our parents. 
And maybe that's been a good example, but a lot of times that's a bad example. And so we feel like, man, if we can get this down and then we could teach our kids and our grandkids how to do this, we're going to win. So we're going to fly pretty quick because there's so much to cover. And again, if you want more, just get the book. Seriously, there's a lot more in the book that we can cover. We do a whole thing on anger in the book because I had some real anger issues. We're not even going to get into that tonight. Some of you just went, I got to get that book because my husband's really angry. You're never thinking of yourself, by the way, right? That's what you do at marriage conferences. You're always going like this whole time. He's talking to you. No, he's talking to you. All right. So here's the first thing to write down or just, just jog in your mind. There's at least, and we're just going to give you four patterns or styles that people have when it comes to conflict. And you'll have one of these predominantly. You may mix and match some, but you'll probably, when conflict happens, you'll either be the first ones win some people are winners. They're good at conflict. They like it. Um, they usually win the conflict because they bring fingerprints and eyewitness accounts and <laughs> photographs and they can prove their point. But they don't avoid it. They're like, oh, we're going to get into this? Okay, let's go. You know, so they're in it. And then the next one is the person that will yield. They'll yield. And what will happen is they will give in in an argument or fight, even if they think they're right and the spouse is wrong, but they'll give in for the sake of the relationship. Does that make sense? Yeah, third one would be withdrawal. This is a person that doesn't like conflict. They may get in their car and drive away for a couple hours or three weeks. Um, <laughs> I'm hoping, I'm just kidding, but no, they don't, they don't like it. And so they just, sometimes if they can't get out of the room, they shut down emotionally and you can't really even get them to engage. They just don't like conflict. It's something that they consider is bad and they get away from it. And then the last one, and this is what we want to get to tonight, is a resolver. Someone that says, I can't sleep if this isn't resolved. And they drive you crazy sometimes, but they'll follow you around the house and say, we got to talk, we got to talk, we, we haven't resolved this yet. And it's a good thing, but it can also sometimes be... Uh, a, a bad thing. So anyway, here's the thing. You don't know us. I mean, well, well let me ask. Did you guys kind of figure out what you are? Yeah. yeah, you kind of know, and you probably know what your spouse is too. It'll be interesting to talk tonight to see if you agree. What do, what do you think I married? And again, we knew, we knew none of this when we got married. I just thought I married the most incredible woman in the world, and I still think that, but she was a winner. Yes. She loves conflict. I don't love it. I'm like, let's just do this. We'll be better after it. Yeah, and her family... That's what they did. I mean, her dad was my baseball coach in high school, and they got after it, and then they resolved it and moved and on. And let me, I'll ask you what you think Dave is. Based on his history, he has parents that divorced when he was seven, both alcoholics, and they were fighting. There was abuse going on all the time. So what do you think that creates? A what? Exactly. Yeah, I was a withdrawal. I didn't know that, but I saw conflict as bad. It ended in divorce, and I, every relationship I ever had, I didn't know it. I just walked away when conflict happened, girlfriends, whatever. And so <laughs> we get married. We don't know any of this stuff. Isn't it great? You get married, you have no clue. You just think it's going to be awesome. It's going to be easy. And we get in a fight. We're, we, again, we're coming on staff with Athletes in Action. We're raising our financial support as missionaries. And we're, we're, we're new Christians. We're yeah. really new. I'm 19. Dave's 21. 22. 22. And I was really mature. And... Um, <laughs> So we get in this fight her, at her parents' house, and they're all gone. The windows are open. It's, it's our, in Ohio in the summer, and we start yelling. It's our first big fight. And I literally get up, and I don't even know I'm doing this. I start walking out of the family room into the kitchen. And he does kind of this. 
just like. I don't remember doing that. But yes, anyway. you did. <laughs> She's right. So I did that, and I walk out, and as I'm walking through the kitchen, I hear her yell from behind me. I, I'm shocked. Like, he just gets up and leaves. And so I'm like, what, what, what are you doing? Here's the winner. Watch yeah, this. Yeah, he, he just does that. And I'm like, oh, come back and fight me like a man, you chicken. <laughs> oh, you guys, how bad is that? In fact, that's the title of this chapter of the book. Come back here and fight me like a man. And I, I remember I, she yells that, and I'm like, you know, 20 feet away, and I turn around, and I didn't know what to do. And I, I, here's what I did 41 years ago, okay? I've, I've changed a little bit. I turn around, I go, oh, yeah, we'll bleep you, and took off. And as I'm walking up the stairs, I hear from behind me, oh, yeah, we'll beep, beep you. <laughs> she double bleeped. I mean, I turned around, Which, and I said. I, I never even cursed at that time. It's like, look, look what you've like, made she, me become. She's blaming me. <laughs> Can you imagine what the, the neighbors thought? Oh, that's that young missionary couple over there. <laughs> so he goes up, he goes and, and sits on the bed and I sit right beside him. I put my hand on his knee and said, we need to talk about this. And he just says, get out of here. I, I, I remember it like yesterday, because I, I, again, I didn't know it at that point. I had never resolved a conflict. I had always done that. And by the way, think about this. This didn't hit me till decades later. Uh, some of you know this, in the Ten Commandments back in Exodus 20, the first time the Ten Commandments are revealed, God says through Moses that the sins of the father will visit down the generations of your family. Scary passage to think about. And I didn't even know the Bible said that. What I did that day was exactly what I saw my dad do. Usually drunk, but I heard him curse at my mom, hit my mom usually, and leave. And I never connected the dots to like, oh my goodness, I was copying the same thing. Because Ann already said, I had a, a belief that conflict's bad, you avoid at all costs. So when she came up and sat beside me, literally I was like, what are you doing? Just get out of here. And she's like, we can't talk, I can't talk. I'm like, what are you talking about? I had never done that in my entire life. How do you think our marriage would have gone if that's the way we would have kept going? Mm. We wouldn't be here. We'd be totally isolated. We wouldn't have made it 10 years. We would not have made it. Because I had to change my belief. And I'm telling you right now, this is the true belief. Conflict is not bad. Conflict is neutral. How you handle it determines bad or good in your marriage. And every one of you shaking your head, you're like, yep, I've been both sides. If you handle it right, it can actually, and hopefully by the end of our talk tonight, and again, we're just going to fly through this, but by, if, if you start to do the things we're talking about tonight and we try to practice this, you will have a better, more intimate marriage because of conflict, yeah. not as an avoiding conflict. If you do conflict well, it brings you closer than ever. And I'm not just talking about sex afterwards, because some of you just went, oh yeah, that's what, no, I'm not going about real intimacy beyond the physical. And that's a whole other thing. And by the way, we don't know for sure if we should talk about this tomorrow night, but we're thinking about talking about sex. What do you think? Yes or no? Okay, we'll see. We'll take votes later. Um, okay, so here's all we're going to do. We're going to give you four sort of practices. And again, because of time, we're going to fly through these. And if you want, grab us later and we can talk them through uh, in more detail. Um, but just sort of four, four practices or four things to do when conflict happens, okay? And they're going to be very simple. You can tell probably already, we're not profound. We're just basic, simple, Practical. show me, tell me how to do this. And how right? God's word applies to it. All right, so we're going to tell you one last story from our lives. As you listen to the story, 
you figure out what we're going to tell you to do wrong and to do right, because there's a lot we did wrong in this story. There's a couple things we did right. And as you hear the story, I think if you're listening really close and watching, you'll say, oh, there's, there's, there's something you should do right there. Okay, so it was uh, our second son, Austin, is how old? 32? So it was 15 years ago, 14 years ago. I was preaching on a Sunday morning. At one, we had uh, eight campuses at our church. I was at one of our campuses. It was between the second and third service. I was outside at this high school that we were renting for this church. And um, you guys know the story. <laughs> They're laughing. Um, uh, um, so people are coming in. I'm sort of saying hi. And it's like five minutes before I got to go in and start the service. And I see our car and whips in the parking lot like Mauro Andretti. Boom! and parks right in the first spot, right by the front door. And she jumps out with our middle son, Austin, and our youngest son, Cody. Yeah, they're 16 and 13. And so I'm, I'm late. These guys are late. But and every, I feel like everybody's in there. We're so late. And I see that spot. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. And I whip in there. And then I see Dave. He's not usually outside greeting people because even in April, it's still cold in Michigan. <laughs> and so I'm, I say, I go up to him like, look at you out here greeting everybody. You're so nice. And I smile, but I, under my breath, I say, move the car. And I said, no, because Jesus gave me that spot. <laughs> she did. <laughs> She said that. I go, Jesus did not give you that spot. Move the car. She goes, I'm not moving the car. So I grab the keys and I flip them to Austin. And like, Austin, move the car. And I stand in front of our 16-year-old like, he's not moving And I'm like car. pushing her. All and these so, people are coming in the door. And I'm going, hey, welcome to Kensington. <laughs> and the whole time I'm like, you got to move the car. And she's like, I'm not moving the car. And then I'm like, I got to go preach. And I just go in. You know? I go into the church. I go in the very back row. And I sit there with my arms crossed. And I think... I don't even like the pastor of this church. <laughs> <laughs> and so I get home after that, that, that church service, because it was the last one of the day, and you know, you have those fights, you're still fighting an hour later? Yeah, not always, but this one, I mean, I walk in and just start yelling at her. And we've been married for a while. We, don't, we didn't, weren't even yelling at that time. Yeah, I mean, were... it was just like, I can't believe, no, here's the thing, you're sitting there going, what is this conflict about? I don't even understand. Are you mad because she took a park spot? Yeah, okay, I'm going to tell you. I'll give you my side, and then she'll give you the wrong side. But here's the thing, <laughs> um, and this and, I'm, and this is the way that uh, our church. I, you know, I was one of the founders of our church 30 years ago, and when you're a founder, you set the core values of your church. Okay, and I'm not saying these should be the core values of any other church, but these are the core values of Kensington. And 20 years in, they still are. 30 years in, they're still the core values. And one of them, which is a critical one to us it's like visceral to us is we we leave the best parking spots right by the front door for our visitors for our guests not for our members they were already there they were not i there. was there, i was they so were late. not there they were already inside i mean it's a core value we'd have people when they join our first put a hand up and say i will take the parking spot in the back of the parking spot uh, park at the lock or across the street i mean it was just something and so the pastor's wife comes in and parks in the best parking spot by the front door, that's, that's supposed to be safe for people going to hell if they don't get to come to church. You know what you're, I mean? You're really making your case tonight. <laughs> and so anyway, when I saw her do that, I'm like, oh, you can't do that. And she knew too. She knew she was in sin. But I mean, <laughs> but she's like, Jesus gave me that spot. No, he did not. So anyway, you know, I walk home and, you know, I'm, I'm yelling across the kitchen like, I can't believe you parked there. And she's yelling back. I'll never forget this. Cody, our youngest, who's the guy who's going to preach Sunday night. What was he? 13. 13. He's sitting at the kitchen table and he lifts his hand up like he's in class. You know, I'm there, I remember I'm like into it. I look over and I'm like, what do you want? You know, and he goes, hey, uh, 
don't you and mom like travel around the country and teach couples how to resolve conflict? <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> like, yeah, can you show me? I said, yeah, you just sit there, young man, and you watch. And it got so bad, she left. She withdrew and she went upstairs. And well, I didn't say, get back here and fight me like a man, you chicken. <laughs> have you ever been in a fight where you have to make your case? You know, so I go upstairs to start building my case, like ammunition, you know? So I go upstairs, and I'm there probably, I don't know, 10 minutes. And I come down, because I'm so frustrated, and I can't, I want to express what I feel. And I come downstairs, and I make this grand entrance. I'm like, all right, here is the truth. I figured it out. I do everything around here. I take care of the house, I take care of the wash, I'm cooking, I'm cleaning, I'm doing all this stuff. Uh, you're at all your uh, Kensington, you're preaching. Oh, Dave, you're amazing, you're so wonderful. <laughs> I am getting stuff done here. I mow the grass, I take care of the cars. I wakeboard just to be with all the guys. I snowboard just to be with all you guys. I'm doing all this stuff all the time. So if there's one Sunday, one Sunday that there's a parking spot by the front door, I should get to take it. <laughs> Women. Yes? Yes! There better not be any guys clapping. I'm just checking. I mean, she, she does that, and she was even more amped up than that. She was barking this thing out, and I'm just sitting there at, 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 at the end of the kitchen table, Cody's at the other end. Again, he's 13. He looks at me during this rampage, and there was no word spoken. Every guy knows this look. It was like, dude, you are toast. Because <laughs> she was making so much sense, you know. Okay, listen close. Here's where you can learn something that I didn't even know that was going to happen in this moment. So she does that, and she ends with saying, if there's one time that I should be able to take part, I should be able to take it. And it gets real quiet. And you know what? I was thinking later, you know, sometimes we think, should our kids ever see us fight? I think it's healthy. I think we got to be careful. But for him to see what then happened, I think was a, actually a beautiful well, thing. Well, let me put a little footnote there. As long as, and I think this is really important in conflict, that you're not calling each other names. Yeah. You're not cussing at each other. That you're not, that it's not inflammatory. You know, you're not, you're not saying, I'm going to get a divorce or whatever. If they can see a healthy conflict, I think it's really good for them to see the resolution of it as well. So she finishes, and it's quiet for 10 seconds, and I say this. I said, let me ask you a question. Do you feel like Kensington, that's the name of our church, do you feel like Kensington is more important to me than you are? And she didn't even verbally answer. She just shook her head. And then, and here's the thing. At that moment, I was like, oh, this was never about a parking spot. All the women here already knew that. Maybe the guys did too. I did not know that till that moment that this was about her feeling loved and being a priority in my life, more important than my job, which we're going to talk about tomorrow morning. I did not know that till that moment. And when she shook her head, it was like, oh my goodness, here it is. And by the way, when she went upstairs, and we're not going to talk about this, but man, write this down or log this in. One of the most critical things you could do in the middle of a conflict is what I did when she went upstairs. I prayed while she was gone. I didn't, <laughs> obviously. I mean, I, I remember I sort of calmed down. She had been gone five or 10 minutes, and I remember saying, not out loud, but I just said, God, I'm missing something. Help me to see what I'm missing. Isn't it interesting that mm -hmm. when I said, do you feel like this? There it was. I had not realized till that moment there it was. And I got to tell you something. When she said that, then I was like, 
okay, why do you say that? Why do you feel that? I'll tell you what I would have done five, ten years earlier. Here's what I would have done because I didn't know never to do this in a conflict. And I did this every time in a conflict. Fortunately, I'd matured enough to go, don't do this anymore. Here's what I would have done. She says, yeah, I feel like Kensington's more important than, than you. I would have said, Kensington's not more important than me. Why would you feel that way? You shouldn't feel that way. That's you, really you would have said, you are wrong. Yeah, you're wrong to feel that way. You know, because honestly, when she said that, I'm thinking there's no way that my job, my church is more important. There's no way, but I'm not going there. You know why? Because if your spouse says they feel something, that's their truth and that's their reality. Don't tell them they're wrong to feel that. That's what they feel. The next question should be, what am I doing to make you feel that way? Own it. And we don't do that in a conflict, do we? We're telling them they're wrong and now we have another conflict. Because, But I would have done that years ago and all I knew was right there is like, oh my goodness, I am doing something I don't even see that's making her feel unloved. And so that began a change in our life that we, that we, could, that we could start something. So okay, did you listen to anything? Is there anything in there? Here you go. Four little praxis, and, we, and I did the, the first one right there toward the end, and they all start with the letter S, and they're two-word little statements. Here's the first thing I think you should do in a conflict. When a conflict happens, shut up. <laughs> Just write down, shut <laughs> up. And, and again, I mean, it's a little bit facetious, but I'm not. It's like, no, be quiet. Listen. You got to listen. There's a story behind every story. You know, counselors call it the presenting problem. A person comes in, a client comes in, and they have a problem. It's a presenting problem. Every good counselor knows this is what they're presenting, but behind that problem is the issue. I did not know that the presenting problem was a parking spot. The issue was she's not feeling love. So you won't get to the issue if you don't shut up. Oh, I love James. With I love the book of James. I mean, it's a hard book because it's a book about trials. It's about the church going through trials. And James gives, it's such a practical book too. In James 1.19, he says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to what? Listen. Slow to what? Speak and slow to become angry. I was thinking, how do they know the verse? Oh, it's up there. (laughs) (laughs) But if we lived this out, if we applied this to our conflicts, if we applied this to our relationships, wouldn't it make a big difference? Like be quick to listen. And when you say listen, listen to what's really going on underneath. If somebody's emotions are really high, to really think like, Lord, and to pray. I think that praying part is so big. Many times we do all we can and we bring God in last. But if we can pray, bring Jesus into it at the forefront, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, and later in the book of James, he says, uh, why are you angry? Have you ever asked that question? Most of the time, we don't even think about it. what. What is the root? What is this thing coming to? I always talk about an extension cord. What's it plugged into? And I did not know what the anger and the conflict was about until I shut up and actually listened long enough. Like when she was doing her little thing, I'm like leaning in, like, and that's where I thought, oh my goodness, all this stuff she's saying. There's something she's saying behind it. Could it be this? And I asked a question, and there it was. Like, oh wow, here we go. So that's their first practice. Okay. Second practice is soft answer. Shut up soft answer and all that is is respond gently and again i know it's hard to do when you're in the middle of conflict and you're amped up respond gently again how can you do that you can't do it without the power of god i don't believe i think you need a supernatural power source bigger than our natural power where you got to tap in that's where prayer that's where uh, asking god to give you power to listen to shut up and actually respond gently but i don't know if you noticed when we were telling a story when i asked Anne, do you feel like kensington is more important did anybody catch my tone 
I highlighted it on purpose because it was the first time in that whole conflict I wasn't amped up and yelling. I literally asked it, hey, let me ask you a question. Let me tell you, when you're in a conflict and one is escalating and the other de-escalates, the one that's escalating is an idiot if they keep going. <laughs> it's just like, why are you yelling? I just, but if somebody's escalating and you escalate with them, what happens? Road rage, the whole thing, it just gets out of control. Somebody's got to choose to de-escalate an escalating conflict. I love what Emerson Egrich says about who should make the first move. You ever read his book, Love and Respect? He says, whoever's most mature, make the first move. <laughs> Isn't that a great answer? Because you're thinking, oh, she, she. oh. <laughs> so the mature one de-escalates. I love the, the book of Proverbs. It's full of so much wisdom. Uh, Proverbs says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Hmm. And so when there's anger going and you come back harshly, it just escalates. And guess what? Then you walk away from each other and you can't talk for a, a, a day or, or so. But if somebody will be mature enough to say, I'm not going to fight. Let's talk. Help me understand what you're feeling. Just uh, responding gently, it changes everything. I remember one time I was pulling out of my uh, neighborhood onto a two-lane road to go to work, and all these cars were coming. This is before COVID because <laughs> there are not many people driving. Anyway, I couldn't get out. I couldn't get out. So finally, there was this little gap, and I jumped out in front. And as I did, I realized I just cut this guy off, and he was coming a lot faster than I thought. And I don't know if this happens in California, but in Michigan, it's road rage. I mean, it's bad. And I look in my mirror, and he is cursing and yelling, and he's right on my bumper. And it's a two-lane run, you know, this way, that way. There's no way he can go around me. And so I'm feeling bad because I knew it was my fault, but I can't talk to him. And so we get up to a light where there's two lanes, and he pulls over beside me. And I'm literally like, I don't want to look over there, you know, because he's right there. And I'm sort of not going to look. But then I can see in my peripheral all this stuff going on, like he's wanting me to look. So finally, I just turned like this, and he is, the, the, the window's down, but it was cold, so mine's up. I can hear him yelling, and all I do is I turn like this, and I go, dude, sorry, my bad, sorry. I'm not kidding. He was like, hey, no problem. <laughs> that's what, literally what he did. No, that's okay, no problem. He took off. I was like, what just happened? <laughs> you know what just happened? Mm. Proverbs 15.1 just happened. A gentle answer turns away wrath. I watched it right there. That's biblical wisdom. Now, here's the thing. Who cares about some dude on the road that I don't even know and I've never talked to again? What if you did that in your marriage mm. to the person that you love? You decided with the power of God, because I don't have the power to do this right now because I'm amped up and I'm getting more amped up. I'm going to ask him to give me the power to shut up and really, really lean in and listen. And then when I respond, I'm gonna do everything in my power and God's power to, to respond in a gentle way so that we can move this thing toward well, resolution. Well, so often too, you've just said like, I'm sorry, I don't get it. Like I can tell you're super passionate about this, but help me to understand. Just those words, help me to understand. That helps so much in yeah. a calm voice. Yeah, okay, so here's the third one. Again, you could tell. We could do a, a whole sermon on each point. We can't do that. Shut up, soft answer. I'm gonna make you say all these before we leave, okay? Shut up, soft answer. Third one is solve it or go to sleep. Two S's here. You have an option. It's like a fork in the road. If you feel like you're in this conflict and this is one that you can solve today or in the next hour or so, maybe in the next 15 minutes, but you can tell you're making progress and you're gonna be able to solve it. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you can sense, oh, we're getting there, we're getting there. And then there's others, maybe it's more than others, you're like, we're getting nowhere. 
We, we, this is only getting worse. Here's what I'm gonna tell you. Sometimes it's better to go to sleep and solve it tomorrow. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're like, wait, 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 I know the Bible. The Bible says, <laughs> do not let the sun go down on your anger, right? Do not give the devil a foothold. Anybody know that? Are you a real Bible scholar? Tell oh. me where it is. Ephesians. Anybody know? 426. Put it down if you want. That's exactly what it says. And we were told before we got married by our mentor, that means literally you can never go to bed with a conflict or anger. And so it's three in the morning, you know, our first few years of marriage. I'm like, how can you fall asleep? Like this, we're in sin. You have to wake up because he keeps falling asleep. Like, you don't even care. We have to do this. And I was trying to stay awake. It was two in the morning. I'm like. And plus I'd say, what are you, what are you thinking? He goes, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I honestly, I have no idea. Like you have to know. How do you not know what and you're doing? And then one night, I literally, it hit me. It's like three in the morning. She's slapping my face like, wake up. We got to figure this out. You know, this, you know, and it hit me. It's like, wait, wait, wait. That verse can't be literal. The sun went down hours ago. We got till tomorrow night, sun, right? <laughs> I mean, I did. I did some study of the thing in the Greek, the whole thing. It's like, oh my gosh, it's not a literal verse. What is it though? It's a practice. Paul's saying, don't let this linger for days and weeks and months. Like, hey, I'll talk to you when the football season's over. That doesn't work, right? Or hunting it's, season. Yeah, it's like you've got to resolve it quickly. I don't know if you ever read a book by Shanti Feldhahn, a friend of ours who wrote a book. She's a researcher. She wrote uh, For Men Only and For Women Only. Fabulous book. But she wrote one called... Uh, Happy Couples. Yeah. Something about happy, what she did. She studied the Highly happiest happy marriage, marriages, and she tried to find what are the practices, the couples that the husband and the wife both say they're extremely happy. I want to study those. One of the practices she found is the ones that said they're the happiest often go to bed on a conflict and resolve it the next day. Because here's what she said. Often, and it could be the guy, it could be the gal, doesn't really know exactly what they're thinking or feeling in the moment, but a few hours or Look at so night. many of you are shaking your head. Because that was some, me. Of you, some of you are processors. It takes you time to process to really know what's going on. I never believed. I thought Dave was just trying to avoid it, <laughs> you know, so I'd be pressing him. But he really, after a day, would really be able to figure out what was going on. Yeah, but the key is you don't reschedule it for a week. You reschedule for tomorrow and you put it on the calendar and you say, OK, sit down. And then you start again. And sometimes it may take a couple days, but that's how you resolve it. Well, let me give you an example of how this works. Like even with our kids, this happened to me. I think our oldest was 13 and we got in this tiff before school and he was he had a terrible attitude and I'm like you're not doing anything this weekend like that's your attitude is so bad right now and so I'm driving him to school that day he's sitting beside me in the passenger seat and I said hey I'm sorry like I shouldn't have gotten mad like that and let's talk about it before you get to school and he's sitting over in the passenger seat and he has his arms crossed and I said so what are you feeling what are you thinking why did you respond like that this morning and he won't look at me and he won't talk to me and so we get to the school and I said hey don't get out of the car until we at least say a little bit to resolve it and he looks at me he opens the car door and he walks into the school without saying anything wonder, and so, where, he, wonder where he learned that move <laughs> and you guys I'm the kind of person that wants to walk into the school and chase him you know and so I remember going home like what am I going to do what am I going to do and this is the part I think too again we go to God first and finally after I was trying to figure out what to do I prayed like, Lord, I know that you say in James, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously and without reproach. And so I was praying like, Lord, I need wisdom. Help me to know 
how to do this with, you know, especially when you're panicky with teenagers. And this image came into my mind and I went home, I got a piece of paper and I drew the image that came to my mind on this piece of paper. And do you have that? Is that image, do you guys have the image of that picture that I drew? It should come up. Anyway, so a piece I, of, piece of art. I, I draw this picture of a stick figure, that's it. <laughs> See, my artistic abilities. I draw this picture, I put it on CJ's um, desk where he studies at night, and he comes home from school, and he comes down, he goes, Mom, what is this picture? Like, is this your attempt of art? And I said, oh yeah. I said, yeah, that's me, and that's you, and we had a fight today, and so it's represented as like a brick. And that's the brick that we just developed in our relationship. And he goes, oh, mom, I'm not even mad about that anymore. I'm like, I'm not either. I'm not mad. But it doesn't mean the brick disappeared. It means we're just not mad that it's there. And I said, and let me tell you, CJ, dad and I speak all over the country all the time. And we see relationships of husbands and wives that love each other, but they have this big fight and they never talk about it, they never resolve it, and they spilled a brick. And then I took my pencil and I said, then they have another fight and they never resolve it. And I put another one and another one and I put it to the point where there was a wall. And I said, and I see parents with their kids that had fights and they don't resolve it. And they have these, these relationships of people that love each other, but they've built these walls and after a while, you can't even talk to each other. And you don't even know how to tear down the wall because there's been so much unresolved conflict. And it's so funny, as only a 13-year-old can do, he just goes, uh, so how do we get rid of the brick? <laughs> <laughs> Which was great, you know? And so we basically talked, we apologized, we kind of went to the, that shut up, we did all those steps, and we apologized to each other, we prayed, and it was so sweet that night, because as he was going to bed, we were praying for a couple of our friends that were getting divorced, and as I was turning out the light, he said, hey, mom, did no one ever teach them how to get rid of the bricks in their relationship? You know, it's like, man, we've got to teach our kids and grandkids this stuff because that right there, that brick, you know what that is? It's a foothold. It's a stronghold. And that's, those are the things Satan uses to kill relationships. And, and, you know, obviously, if you build brick upon brick a wall, and some of you are sitting there right now going, we've got yeah. a mini wall or maybe a really high wall. The last principle is critical. And I'm smiling because like to try and talk about this topic in five minutes is impossible. So I'm just going to touch on it, but it's all about forgiveness. You've got to seek or grant forgiveness. I mean, you've got... You've got bitterness, resentment. I mean, it could be that if you're the one that's brought the offense into the marriage or into the relationship, you go seek and apologize, say I'm sorry, and seek forgiveness. And by the way, when you do that, you can't demand forgiveness. Hmm. You don't say, the Bible says you have to forgive me. Ephesians 4.32 says, just as Christ forgave you, you, forgave you, you forgive others. That's what it does say. Because they may need some time. And if you've done something like betrayed the marriage vow, which we've sat with many couples that have gone that route, it's a long process. God heals. God does miracles. I could tell you story after story. Sat with one of our best friends two nights ago at dinner where there was an affair in the marriage, and God healed a marriage that the first time I met with them after the affair, I turned to Ann in the car on the way home and said, even God can't save this marriage. 
which was blasphemy. I should have never said that out loud. God saved that marriage, but it took years of work. And she had to go seek forgiveness from John and start a whole new pathway. So it could be that side, or it could be the other side where you've been the one that's been hurt, and God does command us. It's a command, just as Christ has forgiven you, so we should forgive mm -hmm. others. Again, I'm not saying that's easy, and I'm not saying that's quick. But I will say this, and I don't have time to get into it, but it took me 35 years to forgive my dad for walking out with his girlfriend when I was seven and actually taking me on vacations with his girlfriend when he was still married to my mom. I don't even remember some of those. But anyway, long story, 35 years later, I forgive him. And I, the day I said I'm going to forgive my dad took me five years after that day to actually do it. That's how long it took. I thought, I'm going to do it by this weekend. I teach this stuff. I think I just did a six-week series on forgiveness at our church. I'm going to do this. It's not that easy. And if it's been a deep wound, it takes time. But I'm telling you, if there's a wall that's been built up, the only way you get through that wall is brick by brick, resolve, resolve, resolve. But at some point, you've got to do this. You've got to take what you're holding on to, your right to punish, and let it go. And again, I'm not saying that's easy. I, in fact, I would say it's impossible without the power of God. And, I, and, and we said, we're going to give you four, right? Do you remember what they were? We just did four. First one was what? Shut up. Second one was, man, that's good. Third Ooh. one was solve or sleep. Last one was seek or grant forgiveness. I lied. We got one last one. But I won't talk about it because the rest of the weekend, we're going to talk about this one thing in every talk. And this one, if you don't do any of the other four, just do this one. And I'm, I, I mean this. This will save your marriage. Surrender to Jesus. Surrender to Jesus. I mean that because... All these things sound great. Oh, I'm going to shut up. I'm going to soft answer. You can't do it. Without the power of God in your life, vertical marriage means if you don't go vertical and find life in Christ, which again, we'll talk about that more tomorrow and tomorrow night and Sunday, you cannot do this unless you surrender completely and say, I'm no longer living for me or my agenda or even for our marriage. I am living my life to honor and serve you, Jesus, my Savior, would you make me the man? Would you make me the husband, the dad I need to be? And she's praying the same thing. That's a marriage built on a vertical foundation that God can do a miracle in. And we want to end by um, having you watch this video. Is that what you're gonna... yeah. yeah, this is a, I'm kind of a visual learner. And so when I teach, I like to do visual things. And this came to me. But we really think that this will um, illustrate this last point of what we're talking about. Yeah, we were going to, this is a tandem bike thing that she did at our church in a sermon years ago. Um, and we were going to bring our tandem bike on the plane, but it didn't fit. So we thought we'll show you the video. <laughs> but this is Surrendered to Jesus.
joy and the fulfillment that I thought it would. And so I'm getting a little frustrated on my journey, but I think, okay, I'll try another route. I'll try to go to another path that will bring me joy. And about that time, my, seven, my sister came home from, she was living out of state. She was seven years older, and she came home, and she said, Anne, I'm telling you, I have found the most amazing secret to life, basically. And she said, I have this relationship with Jesus Christ. I've understood now why he came, why he died, that he wants a relationship with us. It's not that we get to heaven on doing the right things. It's being with him in relationship of surrendering your life to him. And as she started talking about that, I knew God in terms of, you know what it was? He was Elohim to me. I believed, if you would asked me, am I a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus. But I didn't know him. I didn't have a relationship. So when she said that, I said, yes, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. So Jesus, come on. I want you on this. You're Jesus. Come on, Jesus. You want me in? Yes. <laughs> get on. Like, get on the back. She picked the right guy to play Jesus. Yeah. So, so I'm on this journey, right? Like, okay, you ready? We're going. Like, you're going to get me to heaven, right? This is... uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. So we're going. I think, this is awesome. Jesus is with me, doing the things. But then I start going the same places that I always went. You know, I'm still trying to be in control. I'm the one. And Jesus is like, no, I got this. Like, I know where to go. So I go to the same path, and I'm so frustrated. And now it's worse because Jesus is on the back, and he sees where I'm going. So now I feel guilty. So as I'm going, I think, oh, this is terrible. And I feel this nudging of Jesus, and I feel like he's wanting to be here in control taking me on this journey and the more I discover who he is in the word the more I'm realizing he loves me he's designed me with a purpose and a plan and what would it look like if I allowed him to be in total and complete control and to lead me on this journey and so I was so scared I was so scared because I thought, where's he going? What path is he going to take? He might take me to Detroit. He might make me marry a pastor. You know, who knows what he would do? He would never do that, honey. <laughs> but I date this prayer. I'm like, all right, Lord, I give you everything. I'm going to put you in total and complete control. I'm going to trust you. It was so scary. But I thought, all right. But it felt good. Like, okay, here we go. And like, yeah, I'm free. I can let him go wherever we want. We're going. But then after a while, it's all good for a while, right? But then it's like, wait, wait, why are we going down this road? Like, I do not like that road. I don't, I don't want to go down there. It's scary. It's Trust risky. Me. Trust it's me. It's awkward. So then I'm starting, I'm starting to look over. I'm like, I'm being the backseat driver. Like, no, no, no. I never said that I would go there. No, you know, I'm going to help you. Let me help you, Jesus. I'm trying to get this thing. Like, Lord, no, no. Like, don't do that. Like, no, here, I'm going to help you. And, <laughs> Have you ever done this? <laughs> I, I am good at helping Jesus. Like, Jesus, no. And I get so scared, and I want to control it. And he's saying, Anne, trust me. Just go where, where you, let me take you where I know you will find joy and fulfillment. This is good, right? Yeah. I didn't know you were going to here's what happens. in my head. <laughs> <laughs> and I think what happens is when we're back here, it feels scary, and sometimes we don't want to do it. And I think sometimes God is saying, just cling to me. Mm-hmm. And there's sometimes it's so hard that I can't even pedal. And it's almost like I just want to cling to him, close my eyes, and trust him for everything. Because this is the scariest position at all. And yet... 
It's the safest, most wonderful place we could ever be. I feel like the greatest thing that I've done in my life is allow Jesus to be in total and complete control. And that's not just a one-time thing. It's constantly surrendering every morning when I wake up, like, Lord, I put you on the throne of my life, and I will go and do and say what you've called me to. But sometimes I don't want to, do you guys? Especially when you feel like you've been praying the same prayer for 10 years, or it's just that he's not hearing. But I'm telling you, he loves you, he hears you, he's fighting on your behalf, and he's here. And I, I just, if I could encourage you, and for Dave too, the both of us, I know that Dave has done the same thing. It's what we live our life for is Jesus because we have been more fulfilled walking with him and being with him in total surrender because he knows us and he loves us. And I would just close with this and we'll pray for you is that image uh, of Anne clinging to me is the image to have in your head of not clinging to your spouse, although that's beautiful and important, clinging to Jesus. That's what that image was. And if you want hope this weekend for your marriage, here's what we tend to do. We tend to cling to our spouse. Yeah. Or every, think if they would just get their act together, yeah. we could be fine. And every wedding I do, I'm looking at that couple and I'm thinking, they think he's gonna make her happy. She thinks, or he thinks she's gonna make, and there's gonna be joy there, but you're not gonna find it there. You're never made to find it there. You find it here. And so when you say this weekend, I'm gonna cling to Jesus like I never have before, and you can't make your spouse do it, that's, you can pray for them, but that's their decision. And if they're doing the same thing, God's gonna show up. And if they, your spouse doesn't and you do, God's gonna show up. Yeah. It may take longer for them, but I'm just telling you, we're gonna pray for you right now. Cling to Jesus, go vertical to Jesus tonight, tomorrow, through Sunday, and watch God work. Because he is the God who still raises dead things. Yes. And if your marriage is dead and ours was there, <laughs> we can tell you, it's a miracle we're, stand, we're sitting here 41 years. It really is. I mean, you look and think, oh, yeah, no, it was barely going to make it. And we'll tell you tomorrow what happened at year 10, and we almost didn't make it. Jesus raises dead things, and he still does it. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for Jesus mm. and his life. His death that paid for our sins, we are forgiven and free. And his resurrection that says, there is new life. There is new power. There can be a new marriage that is rebirth right here this weekend. And God, I know there are couples that are hurting. I know there are couples that are doing awesome. I pray for your power, for your beauty, for your presence to be real tonight and this whole weekend, even as couples go back to their rooms and maybe struggle, maybe uh, have unresolved bricks and issues in their, in their marriage. God, I pray they'd sense there's a, there's a God who loves them that's mm-hmm. with them and can help them get to the marriage and the intimacy that you've created them for. So God, make yourself real this weekend to us. Mm-hmm. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.